Hello and welcome to Everyday Oral Surgery. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. I am an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Denver, Colorado. The goal of this podcast is to connect, learn, and inspire. In this podcast, you'll be hearing from OMS surgeons all over the globe discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. Most information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions, so please supplement what you learn here with approved research studies. If you are a regular follower of the podcast, please go to our website, everydayoralsurgery.com, and register to receive newsletters and find links to our social media accounts. Most importantly, if you'd like to be interviewed on the podcast or know someone who you'd like to hear from, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear about, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, real quick before we start the podcast today, I've gotten a ton of great feedback on the Anesthesia Case Review podcast we've been doing lately. Several listeners have requested more episodes like that, so it's no small task to find those cases that are pertinent to what we do. It would greatly help me if the listeners could submit cases to me that we could review on the podcast. The cases, of course, would be totally anonymous and no patient or doctor identifiers would be used. We would just be reviewing the basic events of the case and then pulling out any learning points that we can. Reviewing these anesthesia and or surgical cases is one of the most powerful ways we have to learn and kind of remember the important methods we have of keeping our patients safe. So if you would like to review your own cases with me on the podcast, that would be fantastic. However, if you'd rather not, I'm totally fine reviewing those with the guests we usually review them with. Please email those cases to me at grantstukey at gmail.com and we can get those reviewed and help everyone learn together. Sorry for the interruption. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode. Today I'm with Dr. Lee Colby. He's a general dentist who's founded a pretty cool company that we're going to talk about. Lee, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Grant, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. You know, multiple listeners of mine have reached out to me and recommended I interview you and talk about Triogenics, your company. Can you just kind of give us a brief history of your background and your company's kind of situation right now? Sure. Previously, I was the principal founder of a company called Laserdyne Corporation, and that was an operation that specialized in high-power laser machining. It was accustomed to working with 1,200-watt CO2 lasers and so forth. Very high-precision positioning, seven axes of positioning with 10 thousandths of an inch resolution over three-foot spans. Really quite interesting. So my development of fully guided third molar tooth bud ablation project really stems from that. It's the fully guided procedure is getting the correct physics into a position within the body and very similar to the robotics work that I was involved with. That's great. And so you founded this company, Triogenics. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I owned a group practice in Oregon for 25 years, and about 10 years ago, started development work on the fully guided procedure. And it really has done really quite well in the sense that we developed our own unique technology for this. And I evaluated medical microwave ablation systems and be frank, it was like using a cannon to shoot a fly. Uh, they were overpowered. 
And there were certain aspects of the conventional microwave ablation for solid tumors that just did not lend itself to CT-guided procedures. My first animal trials were in 2010, and it's interesting. I may have done the first CT-guided soft tissue ablation of any kind. I see there are publications now dated 2017 on CT-guided tumor ablation, and what we were doing was adapted specifically for third molar tooth bud ablation in pigs. And you had good success with your trials? Yes. To summarize the fully guided procedure, once you get the probe in position, the ablation technology that we developed does all the work. So the operator is responsible for getting the microablation probe into position. And, and perhaps I can show you, if you take a look at the mandible and what I've done, I've added a hole here. And that was added so you can see that it goes through the third molar tooth bud on number 17 or number 32. And this is actually a 3D printed mandible from human patients in our uh, pilot study that we did. And this is something every oral surgeon knows a lot about. It's a guide, but this has been adapted for a two millimeter diameter so we can push a microablation probe into position. And unlike an implant surgical guide, this is set so when we position the microablation probe and it's pushed into position at, at a predetermined stop, then the center of ablation is in the center of the tooth bud. And that has been the uh, guiding principle of on everything that we do is whatever ablation means we use, we put the center of ablation, center of the tooth bud, and ablate outwards from there. We considered cryoablation, RF ablation, a number of different technologies, but microwave ablation works really well, but it's been highly adapted for this application. And I don't know if you want to dive into that a little bit, because really, Understanding the technology defines the surgery. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So use the toothborne guide, the probe goes through. Before you get into the science of the ablation part, do you have to make an incision, flap anything, or how does that work? It's a puncture, a 2.1 or 2.2 millimeter starter drill from an implant kit will do the job. And most of the time we've seen in the in the animal studies, is that the cortical bone over the third molar tooth bud is really quite spongy. And on the upper arch, if you look at a 3D printed, again, we added this artifact here to identify the third molar tooth bud number 16. And the expanding cortical bone over that is real spongy. And we don't expect to need a starter drill on the upper arch. But that depends on the access. We have not done a uh, pilot study on the upper arch, but are working on it. But if we take a lateral approach, then uh, go straight into the soft cortical bone over it. Some of the oral surgeons that we work with think that there are alternative approaches that will be much uh, simpler. That has not been determined yet. So you do the 2-0 twist, and then the probe goes in. 
you use microwave ablation that is in the center of the the tooth bud what's the science that's happening there well it looks simple but the most difficult part of the development was to modify the microwave technology to meet our needs and the specific needs are we needed the ability to shape the zone of ablation to fit inside the bony crypt of the tooth bud so our prescription in all our animal studies is to measure the largest diameter of the tooth bud add two tenths of a millimeter in other words we extend beyond the bony crypt just a little bit tenth of a millimeter we have that kind of precision and we we realized 100% success in our animal studies. Every time we placed the probe in the center of ablation, the histology showed there was no viable tooth bud tissue. And then on radiographic examination, we had complete bony infill within 28 days. So a lot of data on that. Is Depending on the tooth bud size, does the operator have to adjust any settings like to make the microwave waves? When the operator sends a prescription to us, once we obtain FDA clearance, which we do not have yet, we will fabricate the three TBA guide. We will ship a disposable handpiece, and I will show you how it works. And then we will send an NFC card, a patient data card that has the uh, patient information, date of birth, tooth buds to be ablated, and the ablation dose for each tooth bud. So each tooth bud has a unique ablation dose. If they're all the same size or all the same volume, they'll end up being the same ablation, thermal dose. All right. And then you're doing human trials now, or where are you at with the... We are hoping to be in our first in human trials within the next, for sure, six months, possibly 90 days, but for sure, six months. We're ready to go. And we have some technical hurdles to jump with respect to regulations and so on. In your animal trials, did you find any relapse rate? I mean, you know, regrowth of the tooth or... Once you disrupt the tooth bud, it's done. And if we underbladed just the central portion of the tooth bud, that was still successful. But we converted the uh, tooth into a uh, deciduous tooth. There was no dentin formation. It's really quite fascinating. And the idea is just less invasive, less trauma to the patient. Is there a age range or is it just based on the radiograph or when do you do this intervention? We surveyed over a thousand cone beam CT scans uh, between two orthodontic offices. We have a, a really unique database. We measured the diameter of the tooth bud, maximum diameter, and we did that as a function of age. And we also measured second molar formation, make sure the crown was formed. And then we measured the distance from the uh, inferior aspect of the mandibular third molar tooth bud to the mandibular canal. The average spacing was about five millimeters. The second molar uh, crown was always fully formed. So we know what the size is, but more importantly, peak of the curve is age nine. Uh, seven to 11 will cover really uh, well over 95% of the kids. Got it. So definitely significantly earlier than 
we usually take out a wisdom tooth like in a 15 16 year old teenager yeah if you were doing a germectomy you'd be looking at what age 13 14 in that range mm-hmm. but the procedure involves a simple puncture we expect there to be no recovery period for the kids they should be able to go out and play yeah but I think the most important aspect of this, really what has driven all this, is the outcomes long-term are should be better for the patient. The defects on the distal second molars, all that uh, should just simply be non-existent. Our definition of ideal outcomes is patients are the same as those that naturally don't form the third molar tooth buds. There should be no difference. But we have to demonstrate that, of course. Yeah, it's a fantastic, you know, idea and anything that can help patients at all, you know, go through less pain, you know, less trauma, less inflammation. It's just a great thing, of course. As a general practitioner, my view on that is even if this procedure were almost as painful as traditional third molar surgery, but the outcomes were better, then it would be worth it. But I think we have the best of all worlds. We have better outcomes and really no risk of most of the major complications that you as oral surgeons deal with. I was one of the smart guys. I referred all my uh, third molars out. And uh, there is the oral surgeons in our advisory group all say the same thing. There should be no possibility of osteitis when we perform this procedure. It's an encapsulated uh, treatment site. There's no bleeding, so there's no potential for a blood clot to form or become dislodged, and it's not in direct contact with the bone. So we saw that as the case in all our animal studies. I personally perform over 200 live animal ablations. The complications you would normally a tribute to a third molar extraction just don't exist. That's fantastic. You know, when I was in residency 12, 13 years ago, I mean, I was hearing about this technology and I wasn't sure if it was already being done or what was going on with it. I mean, has anyone actually done this? Are there any other companies doing stuff like this? No, to our knowledge, there are no companies doing this. We have 25 U.S. and international patents, and we think we cover all aspects of it. Probably our most important patent is what happens at the end of the tip here in how this technology works. And if I could pull up just a real quick slide to uh, show you what's going on, I think it might be worthwhile. I can publish this video on my website. Usually this podcast, just verbal stuff goes online through, you know, iTunes and stuff, but I'll make this available for our listeners. I think that would be great. What the ablation zone looks like if you use conventional medical tumor ablation microwave uh, technology, you get a uh, charring here. This is using our probe. This is using a medical grade tumor ablation probe. In order to get the width that you need, you end up having an oblong-shaped ablation zone, and the oral mucosal tissue will be right about where my cursor is. And then you've got tissue charring down here, and this was totally unacceptable 
for use in children. So we had to develop our own technology. We were recommended to go at a higher frequency. The image on the left is at 2.45 gigahertz, which is what is commonly used in medical tumor ablation. And if we go to a higher frequency, you still get this teardrop shape. And again, right where the cursor is, the, the patient's oral mucosal tissue would have quite a burn there. And so what we did was develop a true spherical zone of ablation. That's good because it doesn't burn the kid's oral mucosal tissue at all. You can have your surgical access at any angle that you wish, and it doesn't affect the uh, surgery. But the thing that we do is for the shaping is really quite amazing. Uh, we have patents on this. It has not been reported in the medical tumor ablation market. We can make it spheric, spherical, or we can make it oblate. So we can go as far as 1.4 times wider than longer on the shaft. And we know that too has never been reported. And then if we need, we can make the shapes oblong. And that is baked into the probe at the time of manufacturing. The key thing that was also missing was the fact that most of the medical grade of ablation probes, they had a center of ablation that would migrate up the shaft as the tumor ablation occurs. And that may be good where you have manual access to the tumor during surgery. But if you're doing a CT-guided procedure, where in the world are you going to put the center of ablation inside the tooth bud? This was unacceptable. So what we did was, as part of this technology, where we had a fixed center of ablation, and we know the center of ablation to within a half millimeter. It's extremely precise. And then we can dial in the diameter from there. And once you can place the probe accurately, and that's what the surgical guide does, obviously, then we can choose to uh, ablate the tooth bud, underblade, or we can overblade. In the case of overblading, we ensure that we get more than the bony crypt, but we also then put the adjacent structures like the lingual nerve at risk. And the power level is so low that the enamel temperature differential may be measured to be five or six degrees C. It's really a minor increase. And when we underblade, the center of the tooth bud is where the dentin formation occurs. So only enamel forms, and we end up with the uh, deciduous tooth, which the enamel exfoliates. It really is quite remarkable how predictable that is. But our goal is to ablate two tenths of a millimeter greater than the maximum measured diameter of the tooth bud. It's safe. It's fast. The procedure times are, are real quick then. Hey guys, real quick. KLS Martin is offering a 35% discount on my favorite KLS Martin instruments for everyday oral surgery listeners. So there's a link um, in the podcast notes with a full listing and a video highlighting some of the advantages of using KLS Martin instrumentation. Uh, to utilize this offer, use promo code Faves with a capital S and a capital F. 
So capital S, lowercase t-u-c-k-i, capital F, lowercase a-v-s. And you can use that through your Kalis Martin sales rep or by emailing usa at kalismartin.com. I handpicked these instruments based on the kind of favorite extraction instruments that I use on a daily basis. And um, I hope you enjoy them. For those who are listening, just when I'm viewing that, it looks like you got a form second molar and just like a dark circle where the the tooth bud would be. I don't see, you know, you don't really see any crown at all formed. And you're saying the probe goes in there and, and the the focus or the center of the ablation isn't at the very tip of the probe. It's kind of more up the shaft a little bit. Just a little bit. The operator doesn't really need to know where the center of ablation is. The surgical guide puts that in the center of the tooth bud. So let me show you the microwave generator, and then I'll actually do, perform some ablations. Here we go. You can see the uh, base of the microwave generator. This is the size of it. Now, this is a 3D printed shell. And uh, the final, the design is completed on the generator, but the uh, 3D printed shell will be replaced with the injection molded shell. It'll look nice and shiny and medical grade. So what we do, we've got an NFC card. It's got patient information on it. So you have my name and you lay the card on top of the UTBA generator. And uh, it loads the information, the tooth buds to be treated. And I, you pick the tooth bud you want to treat. We have the uh, disposable microablation handpiece that clips on. It's real easy to remove, but it, it rotates so that the operator can handle it. And I just stepped on a pedal to activate it. This is actually emitting the ablation energy and I'm going to run it across the back of my hand. It barely feels warm. And yet, if I hold it up like this, you can see the ablation zone starting to develop. You're doing that on a piece of meat or something? Yeah, this is a lean pork loin. And, and it's, it's hemispherical because I've laid it on its side. But if you were to slice that, I'm just going to run this across. It's still going. So from a safety point of view, if you wanted to stop the procedure, you'd simply uh, withdraw it from the surgical guide, and the patient will not get burned by that. Do you typically have to hold it down there for a number of seconds, or how long? The typical ablation cycle will be 30 to 60 seconds, depending on the size. And I will bring this up closer Try to get the lighting right so you can see that. Yeah, I see that. That's cool. Yeah. Can you see that? And cool. if you were to slice that, it would be spherical. It's kind of a circular zone of cauterized um, meat there. Yeah, the peak temperature does not go above 90 degrees C. As a matter of fact, we're measuring that at around 80 degrees C. And the reason we limit the temperature is that we don't want any tissue charring. It's really important. This may be premature, but do you have any idea what the the cost would be to the dental provider as far as the machine and then each disposable portion? Or yes, the microablation generator will 
retail for right around $15,000. The disposable probe is free. We actually designed the surgical guide and we would charge $350 per treatment site. And then we would include the disposable probe. And this is what the operator would get is the patient data card, three TBA handpiece, and the surgical guide. And we may, if it was interesting, we've worked with a number of oral surgeons. So GPs like this shape. And I've been told by a number of oral surgeons that straight hand pieces are the rule and uh, we may change the shape. So yeah, <laughs> one said this is uh, kind of a Namby Pamby uh, approach for GPs and we've had a lot of fun. So we are openly asking for feedback from oral surgeons on this and we can change the shape anytime. Nice. So usually the patient comes in, maybe they're nine or 10, you get a CVCT in the office, then there's a way to send that to you and then you would generate the guide and send the probe. Right. You would take standard procedure for an implant surgical guide, take an impression, digital or PBS, and then the cone beam CT scan, and then we design the guide and determine power setting or the thermal dose is a better way to look at it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm sure the amount of time and effort it's taken with you and your team to go through all this is just amazing. The most important thing is that we have really automated the ablation process in the sense that as I mentioned earlier, the operator is responsible for getting the probe in the final position. And you guys are the pros on that. And we're the pros on determining the thermal dose and the access angle and so on. And really it makes the entire procedure fast. Most of our uh, pig studies from start to finish, typically two minutes and that was a long osteotomy to gain access in the uh, pig model through the anterior of the ramus instead of coming in direct like we would for humans. So it's actually going to be easier on humans than on pigs. That's great. Well, do you have any ideas as far as you know timing would go as far as how long it would take to do to finish human trials, get FDA approval, that type of thing? So our mission, we're on a forced march now to submit our application to the FDA for 510K clearance. Our microwave ablation generator has passed all its electrical safety certification testing. Now we are beginning to package everything for the FDA. Our goal is to get that submitted by the end of March. We expect clearance, assuming the FDA has no substantial questions, in the August-September timeframe. And once we obtain clearance, then we will be on the market. And our mission is to go out through the oral surgery community. We are not interested at the onset working with GPs. Uh, we think that we'd rather work with more experienced practitioners. Makes sense. Well, you're speaking to the right group then. We've worked with a number of oral surgeons on our project, and it's amazing the uh, support that we're getting and the help that we got. It's really good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Once you do get clearance, would all that be marketed and kind of 
ordered and stuff and set up through your website, the triagenics.com, or where would we see that? We would go direct to the oral surgery community and let them know. And you had forwarded me an article, I believe, was it published in JOMS that you guys did? Two articles, and we are planning a third. The And both articles that were published in JOMS was focused on the pig studies and the outcomes. But there's no discussion on how the technology works. We're starting more just initial work on a third art submission in JOMS. And this will talk about how the technology works, what the nuances are. And once the surgeon understands how the technology works and the procedure becomes very straightforward, we don't want to have the any of the surgeons perform this blindfolded. They really need to understand. And once we have human clinical data, then we are hoping to publish in JAMS on that also. Wow, that's a lot of work. And I appreciate you explaining a lot of this to us. I can put this video up for listeners as well. If we have listeners that have further questions, are you okay if I provide your email or some form of contact info? I would very much like to hear from your audience. When I get questions, in particular from oral surgeons, we really like the input. We invite constructive criticism. Any feedback we can get, we cherish. Good to keep an open mind and get as much feedback as you can. It can only serve to refine the product. Exactly. Well, Lee, I appreciate you doing that today. We end every podcast with some fun rapid-fire questions. So my first question for you is, what is the best book you've read in the past year? If you read anything by Ian McCall Smith, you will know why I love this series, The First Lady uh, Detective Agency. Have you read anything? No, I haven't. I'm looking them up right now. I strongly recommend it. It's uh, written by an attorney who's an ethics professor, but he's looking at the world through a women's view. And there's a certain amount of tongue-in-cheek humor poked at men that's really pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I would recommend that. Are these like fiction? Like It's all fiction. It's thrillers, ladies. Uh, no, they're ethical situations that come up that the female detective in the book solves. It's really, yeah, it's really good. I'd like to check that out. That's great. Next question is, what kind of non-dentistry thing did you do in your career that helped you with your daily practicing of dentistry? Oof, really, what helped me the most was continuing ed. Was it? Okay. Yeah, lots of continuing ed and knowing when to refer. I do have a funny story to share. I've only been sued for malpractice once. And it was for a third molar that I didn't remove. And the hilarity is when I was served by the sheriff's deputy, I knew this was coming. It was a good patient who got hurt. I started laughing when the sheriff's deputy served me. And the reason I was laughing, he thought, it was because I had just gotten back from one of my animal surgeries at Oregon State University where we're doing our first studies. So the irony is I'm working on a way to eliminate third molars from ever forming, and I'm getting sued for a third molar that I didn't extract, but I own the practice. It was kind of sued under you because there was an oral surgeon coming into your practice. Is that the deal? One of our 
General Dennis extracted the third molar, and there was uh, permanent lip numbness. So, jeez, you know, sometimes you just can't win. There's uh, there's always a problem. Very good patient, and we took care of her and got everything settled. And we we asked the patient to stay on. She's a good patient. Oh, good. I'm glad it worked out. Favorite movie or TV show that you have? Well, my wife and I are real fanatics on BritBox murder mystery series. So we love a series called Shetland. And if you haven't seen it, you're really missing some good cinematography, good plots, and great acting. Is that on, do you know what, is that on Netflix or what service? That would be on, it's in BritBox, which I think you get through Netflix. All right. I'm always looking for some good mystery shows. The British seem to always do a good job on those. So This isn't a mystery, but did you ever watch Downton Abbey? My wife and I watched every episode. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, that was a good one. I really enjoyed it. My wife and I watched that as well. Well, that's terrific. And then last question, do you have a favorite quote? Oh, boy. Nothing that really comes to mind other than, and I can't remember the lady who said this, uh, she was the inventor of Pampers. And her quote was, I went to every diaper manufacturer, and, and they were all men, and they didn't see the need for disposable diapers, so I started making them on my own. And I wish I could remember her name. It's a good exercise in knowing your market, what the problem, defining what the real problem is. And the men didn't talk to the right audience. Very interesting. Yeah. Know your audience. Yeah, that's a good yes. point. That's why I really appreciate the time to talk with oral surgeons to get their feedback. We are designing this product for the oral surgery uh, community. Well, thanks for all you do and have done to try to refine this product and test it and make sure it's safe and helpful. And, you know, hopefully you can get that on the market soon and could be another valuable tool that we have to help our patients. And I'll put links to your articles from Joms and also your email, if that's okay, in our show notes. And That would be excellent. Grant, I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Sounds good. Well, let's keep in touch. Thank you so much, Lee, for your time today. Okay. Thank you, Grant. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. For more information on these podcasts, please visit everydayoralsurgery.com. I love feedback and would be very grateful if you would reach out to me via my email, grantstukey at gmail.com, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Or you can text me at 720-441-6059. Additionally, if you have any topics you'd like to hear about, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please, please email or text me. I found many of my interviewees through people who have been contacting me and have been listening, and I've gotten so many great uh, ideas for more podcasts, and that's what helps keep keep the podcast rolling. So I really appreciate you making that extra effort and helping me out with uh, feedback and knowing what to do next on the podcast. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.